copy of God's Word if you have a Bible with you and turn to John chapter 10, verses 11 through 21. If you don't have a Bible, we can give you one after the service, but the verses will also be on the screen. John chapter 10, verses 11 through 21. And you know, it's amazing. I can remember my exact age the first time I preached from this passage of Scripture. You know how old I was? I was 23 years old. And I remember I had what I thought was going to be this great idea. I had a friend who owned some sheep, and I convinced him to lend me one. And then I had a member of the church take that sheep, put it on a leash, which was tied to a stake in the front yard of the church. And I had them do this during the sermon so that it would surprise them as they were leaving and they could see the sheep and pet the sheep. Kind of a, a visual reminder of the message they just heard about the shepherd and the sheep. Well, that was the idea. And it went fine for a while. And then some dogs came along. <laughs> and when the dogs saw the sheep, they saw lamb chops. <laughs> when the sheep saw the dog, the sheep saw its entire life passing before its eyes. And that sheep began to scream in a way. I did not know sheep were capable of making this sound. And everybody inside of the church could hear it, and they're all wondering, what is this sound? I knew exactly what it was. And so the first time I preached from this text, I had to literally pause my sermon halfway through so that I could run out of the sanctuary. I'm preaching a sermon about the shepherd defending the sheep. I had to run out of the sanctuary to literally defend the sheep. Well, this morning we're continuing this series of messages called Jesus the Good Shepherd. By the way, there will not be a sheep waiting outside this morning, just in case any of you were, were wondering. But it's amazing how many of the heroes in the Bible spent time as shepherds. Abel was a shepherd. Jacob was a shepherd. Joseph was a shepherd. Moses spent 40 years of his life in Midian as a shepherd. The great King David started out as a little shepherd boy. And when God promised that he would send his Messiah to be the Savior, he said numerous times in the prophets, that this Messiah would be like a shepherd. Now, let me just give you one example of one of those texts. Ezekiel 34, verse 23 says, I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them my servant David. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. Notice God promises to send this shepherd and he will be my servant David. Well, King David died 400 years before these words were written. 
So in one sense, is this, going, this shepherd going to be David? He's called David because the Messiah would be a son of David, the Savior who will save us, the Savior who will fix everything that is broken in us and in this world. When he comes, God said he will be a descendant of David, which D Jesus was. So when Jesus came along, and in John chapter 10, in our passage this morning, and when he said, I am the good shepherd, he was not only claiming to be the I am once again, he was also saying, I am that shepherd that you have been looking for. I am that shepherd you have been waiting for. I am that shepherd who came to save you and protect you and feed you. Jesus came and he did everything the scripture said the Messiah shepherd would do. And so when we get to 1 Peter 5, 4, Jesus is called the chief shepherd. And then in Hebrews 13, he's called the great shepherd. And in 1 Peter 5, he's called the shepherd of our souls. But what is it that really makes Jesus this good shepherd? What is it that separates Jesus from all of the others? Well, there are four things that we're going to notice in our text that Jesus has done and is doing for us. We see, first of all, the good shepherd dies for the sheep. The good shepherd dies for the sheep. Look with me at verse 11, and let's read this, <clears throat> this verse out loud together. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Now, I said last Sunday that Jesus is using an illustration that was very, very common because back in those days, every town, every village had a sheepfold and everybody knew about shepherding. Something else that everybody knew, everybody knew that not all shepherds are created equal. Everybody knew that some shepherds were better than other shepherds. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Now, I want you to notice that word good in verse 11, because in the Greek language in which this was written, they had two separate words for good. There was the word agathos, which means to be intrinsically good, to be morally good. But then there was this other word, kalos, which meant to be externally good. This meant something that is altogether beautiful, something that is good in practice. Now, either one of these words would have been accurate. Both of these words would apply to Jesus. And yet, interestingly, the word Jesus uses is actually that second word, kalos. He is good because he puts that goodness into action. Well, how does he do that? By laying down his life for the sheep. If you look very closely at verse 11, and if you will put that verse on the screen again, if you look at that verse very closely, if you look at that verse word by word, you will notice that this verse, verse 11, is kind of like a summary of the gospel in just one verse. It starts with, I am, I am, or Yahweh. 
God, He alone is truly good. He alone is holy. He alone is righteous. Jesus took that holy name of God and again, He applies it to Himself and He says, I am the good shepherd. God became man. The Word became flesh. Why? To give His life for the sheep. To give His life, Jesus was born to die. He gives his life. That word for life in the original language, it's not one of the normal words that translate life. This word is the word that almost always translates soul. In other words, when Jesus gave his life on the cross for you and for me, it was not just the physical pain of crucifixion that he endured. It was the bitterness of experiencing his father's rejection when he became sin and when he suffered God's wrath for our sin. It was the sadness and it was the agony of being insulted and being rejected by the very people that he loved. And let me tell you, Jesus felt all of that in every part of his being. In this sense, he gives his life, and notice this, for the sheep. That means in place of the sheep. Jesus died as our substitute. That means he took our place. Romans 5.8 says God demonstrates his love for us in this, in that while we were sinners, even though we were sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died for us because like sheep, we were weak and defenseless and unable to save ourselves. Now, something else. Which sheep did Jesus die for? Now, notice it does not just say the, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He lays down his life for the sheep. We learned last Sunday that in John 10, sheep here refers to people, which is why I do not hesitate to say to anyone, Jesus died for you. Isaiah 53 says, all we like sheep have gone astray and we've turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all, all who have gone astray, all who have sinned. The Lord laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. This doesn't mean that everybody is going to be saved because not everyone is willing to receive this gift. But this gift is indeed offered to everyone. Sometimes someone will ask me this question, Pastor, how is it possible that the death of just one man could pay for the sin of countless men and women? Well, it's possible because this one man is Jesus. It's possible because as the Son of God, his life had greater value than all others, as the sinless Lamb of God, his blood was more precious than all others. And the suffering and the death that Jesus endured for us, it is enough to redeem all of us from an eternity of condemnation. So Jesus tells us what makes him the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. But then he compares himself with others in verse 12. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep 
and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. You know, in those days, even the best shepherds could not be with their sheep 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Even the best shepherds had to take a break. They had to run errands. They had to go to the market. They had to visit family. Uh, They had to eat. They had to travel. They had to do any number of things. And so what would the shepherds do with their flocks when they had to be away? Well, they would hire someone, a hireling, to watch over the sheep in their absence. Well, that was fine, but then there would come this problem. The problem was when a wolf came along and attacked the sheep, When that happened, what would the hireling do? Would the hireling, the guy that had just been hired, would he be willing to put himself in harm's way to fight off the wolf? Would he be willing to risk his life to save the sheep? No. He said, well, why not? Because he was just a hireling. It was just his job. He doesn't care about the sheep, what happens to them, whether they live or die. The hireling would say, well, why am I going to allow myself to get ripped apart by a pack of wolves just to save some dumb sheep? I'm just here for the money. That's what he would say. You see, the hireling loves his life more than he loves the sheep. But the good shepherd loves the sheep more than he loves his own life. The good shepherd is willing to do whatever it takes. The good shepherd is willing to pay any price that's required to defend the sheep. And in this sense, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. That hireling, he only does what benefits himself and nobody else. But Jesus, everything he has done and everything he is doing, he does for our benefit and for God's glory. Now, in those days, if you put a shepherd and a hireling side by side, you probably would not be able to tell them apart. You would not be able to look at them on the outside and tell which one was which until... The wolf came. And the moment the wolf arrived, you would find out real quick which one was the shepherd and which one was the hireling. Now, I tell you that because there are a couple of important practical lessons for us here. First of all, just as the wolf would reveal who is and is not the shepherd Likewise, sometimes God will allow some wolves to come into our lives to reveal who we really are and what we are really about. You say you love Jesus? Great. Let's see what happens when the wolf of adversity comes along. You say you're following Christ. Praise the Lord. Let's see what happens when the wolf of persecution comes along or the wolf of loss comes along let's see what happens then because how you respond to that wolf will reveal will show us who you really are and second of all i want to point out that peter in his first epistle 
He said that pastors are to follow the example of the good shepherd. Now, I realize I'm preaching to myself right now, but let me remind you, Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 2, shepherd the flock of God, do it willingly, not for dishonest gain. In other words, don't be a hireling. Do you realize that there are a lot of so-called pastors out there who are hirelings? They're just religious workers who exploit people for personal gain. And you better learn to recognize them. And you better ask the question, is this person acting like and talking like a shepherd or a hireling? Because the good shepherd is willing to die for the sheep. Something else we see here, the good shepherd knows the sheep. The good shepherd knows the sheep. Look at verse 14. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. Now, in those days, shepherds spent a lot of time with the sheep. In fact, they spent so much time with the sheep, they could tell you everything about them. They could tell you about all of their idiosyncrasies and all of their little quirks. They could point out to you each uh, sheep in the flock and tell you what made that sheep different from all of the others. The shepherd could point to a sheep and say, you know, that one right there, um, he's a little more timid than the others are. And this sheep over here, well, this sheep, uh, this one's a little bit ornery. And this sheep over here, this one uh, likes to, to sleep a lot. This one here wants to be first in line when it's time to eat. And he could go through the list and tell you all about all of the different sheep. Well, Jesus once again calls himself the good shepherd. And this time he follows it with, he says, I know, this time he calls them, my sheep. He knows us. He knows our tendencies. He knows our habits. He knows our secrets. He knows our strengths. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our thoughts. And yet this kind of knowledge that Jesus is talking about in verse 14, it is much more than just knowing stuff about Someone. This kind of knowledge is about knowing someone intimately, knowing someone personally, knowing someone lovingly. Now, the fact that Jesus knows us and loves us in this way with all that he knows about us, that is an incredible thought. And that is something that really ought to encourage all of us here this morning. But then Jesus takes that and he goes a, goes a step further. He says, I know my sheep and am known by my own. My sheep know me. To those whom Jesus saves, he gives the ability to know him. And once again, this is not just knowing stuff about Christ. There are a lot of people who know facts about Christ who do not know him personally. This is a personal knowledge. This is a loving kind of knowledge, an intimate knowledge. 
And if you have been born again, you know and I know that what Jesus is describing in verse 14 is very, very hard to describe to someone who is not a Christian. And yet, it is so real. The fact that we can know and love and be known and loved by this shepherd, that is amazing. But once again, Jesus goes a step even further than that. Look at verse 15. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now notice what Jesus does here because this is a very deep thought. He compares his knowledge of us and our knowledge to him to the knowledge that he possesses of the Father and the knowledge that God the Father possesses of the Son. Honestly, I don't know that any of us here are going to completely 100% grasp exactly what Jesus is saying here. We might understand this in part. I believe Jesus is teaching us something here that is so great and so glorious, none of us are going to fully comprehend this. But just think about it this way. How intimately does God the Father know God the Son? How intimately does God the Son know God the Father? God the Father and God the Son and as well God the Spirit have known one another and loved one another for all of eternity past. And yet this is a picture. This is a glimpse of how well Jesus knows us and loves us and how we will know and love him. Now you put all of this together. Jesus knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows the good, the bad, and the ugly. He knows the worst that there is to know, and yet he still loves you, and he wants to commune with you. This is what makes him the good shepherd. Something else that makes Jesus the good shepherd. The good shepherd unites the sheep. The good shepherd unites the sheep. Look at verse 16. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Now, if you were here last week, we saw at the beginning of this chapter, Jesus referred to the sheepfold of Israel. And for most of Jesus' earthly ministry, he focused on the sheep of that sheepfold, the sheepfold of the Jews. But now he says, other sheep I have which are not of this fold. So now he's talking about the sheepfolds of the Gentiles. And he says, they too will hear. And many of them will also hear my voice and be saved. And notice where this is going because there's direction here. Notice, Jesus is going to go to all of these other sheepfolds, to all of these Gentile sheep, and he says, there will be one flock and one shepherd. Not a Jewish flock and a Jewish or and a Gentile flock. No, just one. One 
people of God, made up of people from every nation, every tribe, every people group, every tongue. He said there will be one flock and one shepherd, one Savior who redeems them and brings them together. And by the way, this is why we do missions. This is why we send out missionaries. This is why we send and why we give and why we go and preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. This is why I'm going to be in Senegal next month. This is why our youth are going to Belize next year. We go to all of these different sheep folds because Jesus said, I have sheep in those folds. And those who hear and believe in him, he said, will be one flock. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this was such a revolutionary thought you kind of have to remember the animosity that existed between the Jews and Gentiles in those days to really get where, where Jesus is going here. This animosity was so great. If you visited the temple in Jerusalem in the first century, there were literally signs warning you if you were a Gentile. You had your Gentile court. You were allowed to go there and pray worship, but there was a sign warning you that if you passed any further, you would be executed. And by the way, archaeologists have discovered those signs. You can see one at the British Museum in London. You can see one at the museum in Jerusalem. But can you imagine going to church, and we got a section over here for the Mexicans, and we have a section over here for Haitians, we have a section over here for Anglos. And, and, and you, could you imagine showing up to church, showing up to worship? And there's a sign saying, if you sit in someone else's pew, you will be shot. I know some people who might be in favor of that, but that's another story. But could you imagine something like that in a place of worship? So when Jesus says, I have sheep that are not of this fold, he is announcing to them that he is going to do away with all of that. And so we see this starting to happen as we read through the Gospels. For example, he granted the request of the Syrophoenician woman, and he passed through Samaria, and he ministered to the woman at the well, and he complimented the faith of the Roman centurion, and he healed the Samaritan leper. He told the parable of the good Samaritan. In all of this, everything that Jesus was doing here, he did this because he did not come to just be the shepherd of the Jews. He came here to be the every, everyone's shepherd, everyone who hears and responds to his call by placing their faith in Christ. Thus, we get to Galatians chapter 3, and we're told that in Christ there is no Jew or Greek. We open up Ephesians chapter 2, and it says, In Christ that dividing wall has been destroyed. You know, it's Jesus' purpose to bring together those people who would never come together otherwise. Sheep from all of the different folds, one flock, one shepherd. So many people I meet, they just want to be a part of a flock where everybody looks like them. That may be what they want. That's not what Jesus wants. 
He wants to bring together sheep from all of the different folds into one flock and one shepherd. And we may have a lot of things that, that we don't have in common. Maybe we were born in different countries. Maybe we go home and we pray in different languages. Maybe we are different colors. But let me tell you this. If Jesus is your shepherd, you are my brother. You are my sister. If Jesus is your shepherd, we are one flock. And we had better remember that. And we had better act like that. And so we see that the good shepherd, he unites the sheep. One more thing that the good shepherd does, the good shepherd prevails for the sheep. Look at verse 17. Therefore my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. You're going to notice that four times in this passage, Jesus speaks of himself laying down his life for the sheep. Now, that means, he says in verse 18, no one takes it from me. His life was not taken, it was voluntarily given. Everything Jesus experienced, the betrayal, the trial, the beating at the hands of Roman soldiers, the crown of thorns in his brow, the, the nails in his hands and his feet, every insult, all of that was voluntarily endured. He said, I lay down my life. No one takes it from me. I lay it down. And let me tell you why this is so significant in the context of John chapter 10. You see, other shepherds were willing to fight for their sheep. And other shepherds might be willing to risk their lives for the sheep. Other shepherds might actually wind up dying in the process of defending the sheep. But there was something no other shepherd would even think of doing. No other shepherd would intentionally lay down his life for the sheep. Because what normally happens to the sheep after the shepherd dies? Let me tell you. It's not good. If the wolves kill the shepherd, then that means there is no one and there is nothing to keep them from destroying the entire flock. Well, that's why Jesus did not stop halfway through verse 17. He does not say, therefore my father loves me because I lay down my life, period, end of sentence. No. He said, I lay down my life that I may take it again. If Jesus died and stayed in that tomb, the wolves that killed him would then kill us. But Jesus did not die so that the wolves of sin or the wolves of death and judgment and hell would kill us. He died and rose again so that he can protect us from all of those wolves forevermore. Notice Jesus said, I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it up again. You realize Jesus is claiming to have a power that no one else in this universe possesses. The Bible tells the stories of a handful of people whom God miraculously raised from the dead. But in none of those cases did any of them rise from the dead by their own power. In none of those cases did any of them rise from the dead only to never die again that could only be said of Jesus. 
And this power that he claims in verse 18, the power to lay down his life and the power to take it up again, he employs that power on our behalf. And thus, he has the power to save us from sin. And he has the power to deliver us from whatever bondage we are in, whatever chains that bind us. And he has the power to cleanse our past and to cleanse us of all guilt and shame. And he gives us the power to live a new life. He gives us the power to love our enemies. And he gives us the power to forgive those who have hurt us. And he gives us the power to actually live above our circumstances and not under them. All of this power that Jesus possesses is available to us And according to Christ, his resurrection from the dead is the proof. Look at verse 19. Therefore, there was a division again among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Some people heard all of this and said Jesus was demon-possessed. That was a common critique of theirs, wasn't it? That was their go-to attack. Some said he's demon-possessed. Some said this guy, he's, he's crazy. He's mad. Why would anybody listen to him? But then there were some people who said, well, wait a second. He must be more. There must be something else going on here because they just could not get beyond the fact that a man they knew in John chapter 9, a man they had known for years, a man who was born blind, could now see. And Jesus was the reason why. And based on that, they said, there must be something else going on here. Jesus must be something more, something better. Ladies and gentlemen, we have something better than that. What we have is an empty tomb. And if Jesus died and if he did not rise from the dead, let me tell you, I dare say that they were actually being kind to Jesus when they called him demon-possessed and mad. Because if Jesus died and he did not rise from the dead, like he said he would, he was actually a lot worse than that. But because Jesus died and because he did, in fact, rise from the dead, that means he is the good shepherd. The one who died for us and loves us, though he knows everything about us. And he wants to unite us and he prevails for us. And so then the question becomes for all of us this morning, is he your shepherd? Are you following him today? Would you join me as we pray? Oh God, we thank you for sending Jesus who really is the good shepherd. He is the shepherd you promised to send. He did what you said he would do. He is everything you said he would be. 
And we thank you that as the good shepherd, Jesus laid down his life for us. We understand that no one took his life from him. It was given freely because he loves us. We thank you, O oh God, that he not only died on the cross, he not only laid down his life, but he took it up again, he rose again. And therefore, he is able to save whosoever shall call upon his name. He's able to save us from the wolves of sin and death and judgment and hell. And so God, I pray if there's anyone here today who perhaps needs to take that step of following Jesus, placing their faith in Jesus, that this would be their day of salvation, that this would be their day, that they take that step of faith and say, I believe that he died for me. I believe he rose again. I will follow Jesus from this day forward as Lord of my life. I pray this would be their day of salvation, not just another day, the day they are born again. Father, I pray that you would help all of us here today to take what we've read and what we've learned and apply it to our lives. And I pray for my church family, God, that you would help us to really do our part in, in making verse 16 a practical reality and going to all of the different sheepfolds of the world and telling the good news about Jesus, that he died for our sins, that he rose again, that in him we can have eternal life and abundant life so that from all of these different sheepfolds all over the world there would be just one flock with one good shepherd Jesus. Take us, O oh God, use us for that purpose and have your way, we pray in Jesus' name. Now, as we